as we read the scriptures, we should see a God that is more than willing to be able to bring restoration and hope and forgiveness if we simply change. Welcome to the CDM Podcast, a production of Contagious Disciple Making. We exist to catalyze movement through coaching, community, and communication. We created this podcast to help everyday Christians become world-changing disciple-makers. I'm Paul Watson, and this is Rebecca Ewing, and you're listening to the CDM Podcast. Like, share, five-star rate, or review this podcast. You can listen to our full premium content by becoming a $5 a month supporter on our Patreon page. Patreon.com slash faithworks. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash faithworks. Or click on the link in the description. To those of you who support this podcast, thank you so much. Your support helps us to put tools in the hands of men and women just like you who want to experience a disciple-making movement in their own neighborhood. Now, like many Americans, uh, Rebecca and I actually watched the presidential debates last night. The last uh, debates before the election, or at least that's what the, at the time of the recording, that's what we were doing. And so, uh, you know, lots of people have a lot of questions. And it doesn't matter which side of the idol you're on. If you're a believer in America today, I think the question is, has crossed your mind, ha- have things gone too far? Are, is there any hope for America? You know, have we fallen so far from God in, our, in all of our ways and our thinking that, that we just can never come back? And I know that I'm not the only one who's thought that. Rebecca has, has not the only one who's thought that. You've probably thought that at some point in time. And so Rebecca and I wanted to come in today and do a podcast talking about that question. Is there hope for America? Because we believe there is. And we want to talk about it and talk about what it's going to take to get us on track. Every time a major issue arises or every four years for election, we go through this. Is it too late? Have we deteriorated too far? You know, and we fall on our faces and we pray. For sometimes people very dedicatedly, you know, and fasting and praying and all that different type of stuff. But as soon as the crisis seems to lift just a little bit or it's past the election, then we just go back to our lives as usual. So when we say things like, is it too late? Have we deteriorated too far? We're really coming at this from a wrong direction because we, if we, if we read, as we read the scriptures, we should see a God that is more than willing to be able to bring restoration and hope and forgiveness if we simply change. If we simply do to turn from our wicked ways and do something different. And so what unfortunately happens is that we just pray, we say for forgiveness and we say for, you know, uh, help. But really what we mean is we just want something good to happen. We just want to be able to go back to our lives as usual. So if we were actually to lean in and actually turn and live our lives differently, we would be able to see that God is more than willing to bring healing to our nation. But unfortunately, we rehearse to ourselves a lot of excuses did, and, and mm. sometimes create complicated theologies around ourselves in order to excuse our excuses. 
And so, you know, or use tropisms from, you know, the Bible or some biblical concept in an appropriate way in the situation. So one of the big ones is, well, it, it's all going to be fine because God is in control. Now, of course, God is in control in the sense of that he is, he is sovereign. There's, he's not sinning. They're wringing his hands and biting his fingernails and, oh, they're too, just too strong for me. But what this particular saying is so insidious about is acting like everything that happens is directly in God's perfect plan and what he wants for us. And nothing that we ever do could either add or subtract to that. And that is just simply not true. If we look at the Old Testament, we see over and over again God commanding the Israelites and saying, if you obey, then I will forgive and I will help you and I will, uh, you know, blessings will come. But if you, you sin and you walk away from me, I will bring punishment so when the punishment comes, and, and even God says very explicitly, I'm doing this because you've done something wrong. Has God lost control of the situation? Of course he hasn't. But he's decided to bring punishment because of the, uh, the wrong actions of these other, uh, of the people he's dealing with. So when we say, when we see bad things happening, or we are afraid that something bad will happen, and for us just to simply say God is in control to basically absolve us from all worry that anything bad, too bad might happen or everything in the end is as it should be, that is actually not correct. God wants us to repent. So God wants us to act appropriately so he doesn't have to bring punishment. So he doesn't have to allow the consequences of our sin to come to bear on us, those kind of things. So when there are bad kings, when there are wicked men over us, when there are imperfect uh, people, when there are bad things that happen that are under God's allowance, it's not something, well, you know, God dreamed up of as he was, you know, thinking of what do I want for my people? No, it's happening. He's allowing it to happen because of sin. Now, some things obviously we know may not always be directly our fault, but the problem is, is that we don't want to use God's sovereignty as a blanket to keep us from thinking that there will be no punishment or consequences that our actions are somehow irrelevant to the situation. Yeah, I think another excuse kind of goes hand in hand with that is that it's going to get worse and worse. It's just going to get worse and worse. You see, and and both of these are kind of are bad for for a couple of re- for the same reason almost is that people are just going, "Well, if God is in control, I shouldn't or can't do anything about it." And then the other one is if it's a belief of it's just going to get worse and worse until God comes back, then it's this idea of throwing up your hands and saying, well, I can't do anything about it anyway. And so then, uh, you know, it's just going to happen. There's nothing required of me. And I think that's the problem with both of these excuses. It's It's kind of a Christian fatalism. That's right. It's a it's a fatalism. It's that it's just going to happen. There's nothing I could do. Nothing I could change. I might as well go on living my life, 
the best I can or whatever or that may be. Just however I would like to. <laughs> right, right. Just however I want to. And so so that that creates this issue where we're just sitting down and not taking ownership. It makes us victims instead of victors. And and we need to, to move away from that understanding or this idea, this fatalistic thing, and realize that God is wanting us to partner with him that we have control. We can overcome the sin in our own lives. We can repent and turn. So can everyone else. And and we need to be working towards those things. So, you know, uh, it, it, if, if nothing else, it makes us passive instead of active when mm-hmm. it comes to things that are happening. Now, another one we hear is that at least when it comes to maybe it's, you know, a lot of the lostness that's around us and stuff. It's this attitude of, you know, if people really wanted to know God, they would they would do it. They would come to church. They would straighten themselves out. They would do all these type of things, which is somehow absolving us from our responsibility to go out and love and try to help God, partner with God to win them over to him. And so, you know, that's, we're supposed to be pursuing people. And often it is our pursuing of people that changes people's minds and actually causes them to repent and to turn to God. We are his emissaries. We are his, his ambassadors to be able to do that. So whenever basically we and our, we sit in our churches or our ministries or in our houses and say, well, these people, they're this way just because they're somehow you know, if they they would be different if they somehow just wanted to, but they just is just a sign they really don't. Is really calloused, and again, it makes us not actually act in loving compassion towards others. Yeah, another one is blank is not going to save anyone anyway. So why waste our time? So like the government or voting or you know. Uh, being involved in whatever campaign it might be to change anything, the or school education board, or, or yeah, art, any, or any of those things. And so we're just like, you know, why waste our time in that? And so what's interesting is that when we do that, we're actually giving up ground and giving up influence. And we've seen what's happened as a result of that. Every time Christians pull in and refuse to engage we're handing the enemy the keys to our society and giving up any responsibility. We're saying, yeah, the movies aren't bad, but you know what? I'm not the one writing them. I'll just not watch them. And we continue to allow those things to influence our society instead of encouraging men and women to use their professions for the glory of God and lean into those places for teachers to be encouraged to be godly men and women, for police officers officers, for fire officers, for for men and women in government to live godly lives that actually do that. But somehow we, we've created this culture where, where it is more spiritual to be a pastor in a church than it is to be a volunteer in, uh, in on the school board or, or in any other kind of program and be a representative of Christ in those places. And so it's not a waste of time. We have to get in and be active. And that excuse of it's just a waste of time is just, again, a sign of laziness within the church. And and once again, that fatalism of, oh, it's not going to work anyway, so why bother? Another common excuse, uh, well, a common thing that we fail in when it comes to do this topic is God wants, God wants this, whatever, this goal, this election to happen this way or this 
school to be this way, this issue to be this way. So we got to make it happen and whatever it takes to make it happen, that's what needs to happen. And what, and maybe you say, well, well, yeah, isn't that true? Actually, not completely. There's just that, that's, that basically smacks of pragmatism, which is basically the ends justifies the means. And this particular mentality has led a lot of Christians, when they do decide to be active for some particular cause, no matter how pure the intentions and and doing so, end up excusing all kinds of misbehavior, dishonesty, cheating, sometimes violence and anger and corruption, just all in the name of God because he wants something this way and we have to make it happen. This is what we've got to do to make it happen. So, you know, this also is, is, is a failing point, and it really points down to this. It is a lack of faith. All mm. these things we just talked about at length is the fact that these are, these are cases of lack of faith. We don't believe, in essence, here in America, we hear about miracles and distant lands and other times. We just won't, don't believe they're going to happen here. We believe that the people of this country aren't willing to follow God, that they're inherently less receptive to God than other places. you know. And this lack of faith leads to an action, inaction, excuse me, or poorly done actions. So in other words, yeah. actions that, to, that are meant to help, but then they're poorly misdone or guided and, a, in how they're carried out. And maybe even unconsciously, we sabotage ourselves. We go yes. and give half-hearted attempts, mm-hmm. expecting them to fail. And then when they fail because they were half-hearted or poorly executed, then we're like, I knew it wasn't going to work. I just knew that I tried and I wasted my time. I don't know why I bother. And and so we walk away feeling a little justified, perhaps a little self-righteous, and we excuse inactivity from that time forward. So how do we get out of here? Okay, how do we get to a different place in our country? You know, what do we need to change? Well, the first thing we need to do, and this is connected to what we're just talking about, is we need to change our expectation. This is actually going back to a counterintuitive of disciple making. So in case you don't know what a counterintuitive is, there's a list of these principles of disciple making movement that go completely against our normal way of thinking and doing ministry. And so one of the counterintuitives of DMM is the hardest places result in the biggest results. And so how does that apply to the situation? So in other words, what does this mean? In other words, we, there's always those places out there or here in our minds that we think don't even bother going there or talking to that people group or dealing with that issue because it's just impossible. But that's how we normally think. However, what we see in disciple making is often the hardest cases yield the greatest results. That's right. You know, every place has its own special kind of heart. 
I mean, we have some people that we try to reach that are kind of hard to maybe connect with on the outside, but once you get past that initial barrier, they're really soft and receptive on the inside. And then we have other people that, man, they're warm and welcoming and soft on the outside, you know, but we get get into that hard inner place, they're not going to change. I mean, I remember this growing up that that uh, in many cases the the people who with from a Muslim background they seemed a little harder on the outside but once you got past that level of trust to discuss spiritual things they were actually pretty open and welcoming and willing to have conversations on the inside on the other hand when I was in India they would be open and willing and kind of soft on the outside but man once you got to that nugget of there is only one God then boom it was hard and you weren't going to go past that uh, very easily. And in fact, it's really kind of interesting how this is this plays into it as we see that happen throughout the United States, where, um, you know, you might see that people in one part of the United States just seem very open and, and fluffy and willing to meet you. And then other people seem abrupt and kind of hard to get along with. Well, let's just, say, let's just say what it is, you know, uh, at t- typically, you know, the Southerners are usually known as the ones that are the welcoming, oh, hey, y'all, how you doing? Bless your heart, all the different type of stuff. But yet, at the same time, bless your heart basically means, like, aren't you stupid? You know, it's just like, you know, so in other words, a lot of Southerners could still, even though they have that nice soften outside, still could be able to turn, to do just as bad things as other people, you know, uh, when it comes down to it. And the same way with the, with Northerners, they're, they're typically known as abrupt people that, you know, hey, I'm walking here kind of type, type of people. But yet, uh, however, when I when I talk to other Norners, of course, I've never been in the North that, that long myself, but they're like, hey, we'll do anything for each other, what, mm-hmm. the people on our street. Yeah. And so the idea is, is that, yeah, every particular place has its own special barriers and hardness about it, yeah. but also there is the opportunities. That's right. And here's what the thing is, is we can't fall in this trap of like comparing places with one another. You know, I've been in conversations where literally I've heard people arguing that the Muslims from their country were especially hard to reach and the Muslims from another country weren't real Muslims and would respond to the gospel Mm -hmm. better and vice versa. I've heard people sit there and say, oh man, it's got to be easy working in the Bible Belt because people are open and receptive and they have a Christian culture and you're not having to teach them everything from scratch. And then I've heard people from the Bible Belt go, oh man, I wish it must be easier up in the Pacific Northwest because at least you know if people are real Christians or not, because they're not going to tell you uh, that they're a Christian if they're not really following God. And it gets into this kind of contest as to which area is harder. And what we're really doing is we're perpetuating this myth, perhaps, that something is so hard that that we absolve ourselves of our responsibility, we absolve ourselves of ineffective uh, methodologies, and we just sit there and we, we say, you know, this group of people, they're not going to really take it. And so then we don't feel like we failed when, when, we have, when we fulfilled our own prophecies. But no, but no, it doesn't matter, you know, what kind of barrier that is in the people around us. Mm-hmm. Our job, along with the power and partnership of God, is to get past, to work around these barriers, and to get at the heart of people, to be able to help win people to God. And so we need to you know, realize that a lot of these excuses are just a way 
that it's just a way that we explain away our own apathy, our lack of action, and lack of excess. So we need to look and examine our activities. We always do less than we say we are. So, mm-hmm. you know, we'll oh, yes, we evangelize or we pray all the time. Really, let's sit down and really look closely. Uh, oh, you had one conversation with one person this entire month. Hmm. And, or, hey, you have conversations every week, but they're with different people every time. Hmm. You know, maybe we can adjust how we do things to where we can A, do more of it, and and B, it be more effective. And so we need to also seek the most effective ways of reaching others as well. So, you know, maybe the reason why our, our neighborhoods and our our cities and our state and nation are they with the way they are because we're not leaning in and we're not really helping people come to know Jesus. That's right. You know, we've got people that we're working with at CDM that are working in some of these incredible places and that are hard, that pe- some people would define as hard, mm-hmm. and they're seeing some great results. I think about Jack. So Jack is working in a, uh, in a maximum security prison here in the United States. He's working with prisoners that are G4 prisoners. So, so to be a G3 prisoner, you have to be in prison uh, for something pretty horrible. You know, child molestation, murder. I mean, no, it's a bad thing. You're going to be there a very long time. To be a G5 prisoner, you're basically like an animal they need to keep in solitary and chained up because you are you have lost your mind and you're insane. Uh, a G4 prisoner, on the other hand, is some is a G3 prisoner that usually has having trouble with being in the confinement that is, is acting out against the population, and they've gotten to a place where they're in a cell for 22 hours out of every day because they're, they're just that violent. They're hard to work with. Nobody wants to be around them because you never know when they might snap and lash out at someone else. They're not as bad as the G5s, but they're definitely right on the edge of, of instable. Well, somebody told Jack, hey, you know, when you go into the prison, man, I wouldn't want to go to that building, you know, indicating the G4 building. And Jack just said, well, that's where I'm going. Because Jack knew internally a principle. It's, it's like the David principle that says, that says, I don't care about Goliath. Isn't my God stronger? And he just walked in there, and he started working with the prisoners. Man, I tell you what, when we met Jack, he had three Discovery Bible studies. He was trying mm-hmm. to get off the ground, and the support of the community came around, embraced him, prayed for him. And then before COVID, they had over, like, I think it was something like 37? 37. Yeah, 37 with, Discovery with Bible studies. With over 300 prisoners in, in over, amongst these. Yeah, 300 prisoners. It reached the fifth generation inside of there. And guess what? Some of the guys on Jack's disciple-making community, so these are believers who are disciple-makers, were actually G4 prisoners. Mm-hmm. And we and this and just this last month, one of the G4 prisoners had the had the opportunity to baptize another G4 prisoner, and uh, and we're seeing the gospel spread throughout the prison. So some place that we thought was hard that ended up yielding great results. So here's the and these hardened prisoners they're they're helping other prisoners know God. They're praying for an hour a day. They're uh you know when they get baptized they have to sit answer yes I'm willing to die for Christ uh, you know on their way to being baptized. So you know a lot of these hardened prisoners put the rest of us to shame when it comes to you know the change that God has wrought in their hearts and the discipleship process that they're going through. So 
Another place that usually people say, oh, people are just too hard to reach in these is a suburban, decently uh, affluent neighborhood. So in other words, probably upper middle class, you know, kind of kind of neighborhood. And so we say nobody wants Jesus there. They have all the stuff that they want, you know, who, you know, don't even bother reaching those soccer moms and those professional dads and all those different types of stuff. But a lady in uh, Escondido, California, she has been doing so with the with her neighbors and things like that. And she has been seeing people from various Christian cultural backgrounds coming into a discovery Bible process finally understanding what the uh, what God is trying to show them through his word finally understanding why Jesus had to die had to die finally understanding sin coming to know him being baptized and now going out to the rest of their their neighborhoods and again this is all in a place where and a kind of place where people like nobody wants Jesus here yeah yeah. And another one is, is that there's, you know, communities that we often shy away from reaching like the, like the homosexual, the gay and lesbian community. And yet uh, we've got a friend of ours who started a discovery Bible study with a woman from a lesbian background, had been in that background for, I believe over 26 years. And he began to just disciple her and love on her and, and help her learn to read the Bible for herself. Well, she went on and moved to a different place and he lost a little bit of contact until she reached back out to him. And she was sitting there crying on the phone as she told him that she had been reading in the book of Leviticus and realized that she had been living a sinful life and that she was going to completely turn away from it and give up everything in order to follow God. You see, people, when, when, we, when people in these places have a chance to see God, they're willing to give up everything to follow him. And we've got, to, if we don't have the expectation that the hardest places will yield the greatest results, we might shy away from them. And yet, whenever we come across people like Jack, Jolene, and Mike, who leaned in, then mm-hmm. we see incredible results. You've been listening to the CDM Podcast. Like, share, five-star rate, review this podcast. We'll be back with our premium content after the break, where we'll be continuing our conversations of, is it too late for America? And what are we going to do about it? Um, You can listen to our full premium content by becoming a $5 a month supporter on our Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash faithworks, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash faithworks, or click on the link in the description. Thanks for listening to the CDM Podcast. To hear part two, become a supporter on our Patreon page. You can find the link in the description. For coaching or other resources, connect with us at ContagiousDiscipleMaking.com.